there was an experience I had a number of times last year, and maybe you can relate to this experience. I, I would pull out my phone, I have an iPhone, and uh, I would ask Siri a question. I would say, Siri, what day is it? I didn't know whether it was a Monday or a Wednesday. I didn't know what day it was because I'd been at home for so long. And so I would often ask my phone, hey, what day is it? So I could write down the right date. In our family, we have some rules involving Siri and Alexa because a a couple years ago, my kids figured out they could use Alexa to solve their math homework. And so we have some rules about what we ask these devices in our lives that connect to the internet and give us all the answers. Uh, But one of the questions that, that I know Siri or Alexa or Google Home or whatever device you use that you ask questions of can't answer for me is, is Siri who is Cornerstone? Now, it's a question I've wondered a lot over the last 18 months uh, because our church ha- has radically changed. There were people who called Cornerstone home before the pandemic who do no longer. There were people who attended every week and now occasionally watch online. I've discovered this because I'll say hi to them somewhere and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, Pastor, I just, I, I watch online now. And I'm like, I just, wanted to say hi to you because we're in the same restaurant. You know, you don't need to feel ashamed. Um, There are people who started attending online, some of you who are here today, and now you attend in person. There were people who started attending online, and now that's their church experience, people who feel like they're part of our church even though they live in other states. And then there's people who've been here for a long time, and at one time you attended at uh, uh, Yavapai College, and now you attend at Mile High, or maybe you used to attend online, and now you attend in person. And one of the things that, as you were thinking about this fall, we said, hey, it probably is time to circle back and talk about who we are, because who we are has changed in terms of faces and makeup. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to go through a series called The Core. We're going to explore what we value most as a church. And like the video cued you into, I hope this isn't just a conversation about what we value. I hope it spurs you to think about what you value. Because if the last 18 months haven't caused you to step back and reflect on what really matters to me, if the 20th anniversary of 9-11 doesn't cause you to step back and ask the question, am I really living for something that matters? Yesterday, I heard a a man share whose relative died in United 93 in Pennsylvania, and he talked about just reflecting on the sacrifice that was made and asking himself the question, am I living in such a way that is worthy of such a sacrifice? Those kinds of reflections are key and important. And over the last couple years, our elder board and staff have been talking about this question, you know, what matters most to us? Not what should matter most to us, but when you look at how we act and how we live and how we spend our time and how we steward the resources God puts in our hands by what we do and don't do, like, what do we value most? And, and, and that word value or that word matter really is a metaphor that's represented in this image, this image of a filter. Now, we've, we've all thought about filters more over the last year or so than we ever had in a while. Last night, my wife reminded me that it's been a while since I changed the filter in our bedroom, so I'm going to be stopping at Walmart on the way home to get that after I preach today. But, but a filter keeps certain things in, and it allows certain things through. It, it focuses 
focuses. When you have a filter in your, in your eyes, it focuses your vision. And, and what a value does and why values matter is that it filters out things that are unimportant so the important things can go through. And it focuses you in areas so that you don't spend your life, your very limited life, on things that don't matter. And so over the last couple years, amidst everything else that's been going on, happening more slowly than we would have realized, we would have liked, our staff and our board have been asking the question, what are our values? What do we care about? When you look at what we do, what is it reflective of that we actually value? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to unveil to you the eight values of Cornerstone Church. We're going to share with you the things that we believe we value most. Not what we should value, because if you've ever worked in a corporate environment, you know sometimes values can sit up on a wall and just be a, a laughing stock. You know, you, you're, you're at a place that on the wall says, we value timeliness. And you're like, I've been here for 45 minutes and nobody's talked to me. You don't value timeliness, you know? Or we value excellence. And you're like, this place is a hot mess. You don't value excellence. No, we hope that these values are actual values, not just idealized values. And so each week, you'll be able to go on our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash values, and we'll share two of these a week as we preach uh, through this series. And so today, we're going to share with you the first two values. Now, I, I'm sharing them not in any necessarily order. This is not like this is number one, and number one's most important, and number eight is least important. I'm trying to pair them together. We didn't write them intending to preach through them. And then I had to figure out how do I, how do I preach through this as a series. So we're putting them kind of by theme. But the first two that we're going to walk through today are these. Surrendering to Jesus' agenda and submitting to Scripture. As a church, we value surrendering to Jesus' agenda and we value submitting to Scripture. And I'm going to take these one at a time. So the first one is surrendering to Jesus's agenda. Now that word surrender has a lot of meaning. Depending on the environment you're in, depending on the experience you have, you may have different emotions that arise within you when you think about that word. Generally, the word surrender has been used in a military sense. Surrender is what somebody does when they submit to or they cease resisting an opposing force. On the field of battle, it's that white flag that gets raised when one side says, okay, we surrender, we're going to stop fighting, we're going to stop resisting, we're going to give up, we're going to surrender to that opposing force. Spiritually, the word surrender means to give up our will for the sake of someone who is that much greater, God. And so when we surrender to God, we're giving up our will and our desires, our sense of control, and, and we're giving it to him. Maybe my favorite definition uh, a friend shared with me a couple years ago is a kid's definition. The kid's definition of surrender is to give up after a struggle. And isn't that the hard part of surrender? That we rarely surrender immediately. We often struggle with, and surrender is the final outcome after a long process of wrestling with something. Maybe you surrendered to a sense of something in your life after a long battle. I can tell you that I surrendered to the idea of a, being a pastor after a long struggle. I once told God and anybody who wanted to listen that it would be a cold day in hell when I was a pastor. 
And it was years of me struggling with and wrestling with God because I lived in a pastor's household and I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of what this calling would mean. And I knew it would be hard. Little did I know. There was no pandemics back then, you know? It was difficult. And so, so often what happens is that surrender in our lives is the result of us giving up after a long struggle. And so we value that surrender to the agenda of Jesus. Now I want to talk about the word agenda. Earlier this year, our friend Chris Inman, who preached last week for me, did a great job. He gave a great sermon on agendas. If you want to go on our website, you find that it's well worth the listen. But one of the definitions he gave of the word agenda is an agenda is an issue or objective that's important to you but unstated to others. It's that thing that's driving you, but you don't talk about it. Other people don't know about it. It's that thing that's a burden on your heart, but nobody else knows. And, and when you say somebody has an agenda, that's normally not a compliment. You know, you might say, oh, you look nice, or you smell nice, or you're a great person, or you're super gifted at that. If you go, he has an agenda, that typically is not a compliment. But the problem is, is that we all have agendas. And my image for an agenda is this. If you have a cell phone with you, would you pull it out right now? And once you pull it out, would you raise it in the air? I just want to see if I still have a cell phone with me, please. Okay? So, so this is my metaphor while you're holding on to your phone. Hold on to it. Just keep it raised. You can hold on to it. Agendas are like phones. We all have them, and we bring them wherever we go. And you might say, Scott, I don't take my phone everywhere I go. Okay, stop judging the rest of us who do, you know. But, but we take, many of us, our phones everywhere we go, and it's the same way with our agendas. There are things that are important to us, issues or objectives that matter to us. And we take them everywhere we go and to every room that we're in. And we as a church value surrendering those agendas, laying them down, and surrendering and giving ourselves to the agenda of Jesus. And a great picture of this is represented in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in light of all that God has done for you that you didn't deserve, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to surrender yourself to Him, Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Paul continues, Do not be conformed to this age. We'll come back to that later. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If we are holding on to our agendas, and we have this thing that's driving us, it will be impossible to perceive what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God because we're consumed with living out our own. And so we surrender to Jesus' agenda because if we don't, we're just going to continue to advance our own agendas. And let me tell you, when you get a bunch of agendas in the room, we have two words for that, family and church. And that's often why those two places are some of the biggest sources of dysfunction and drama in our world. 
Because when you collect hundreds of agendas in one place, it becomes a source of conflict. And that's why we value surrendering to Jesus' agenda. Because we can't go anywhere and do anything as a church if we're not laying down our agendas and surrendering to one agenda above all. So with each of these values, we've, we've written some language that kind of explains and further explores what we mean. And here's what we wrote. Surrendering Jesus' agenda. This is what it means. Jesus is the head of Cornerstone. I'm not. And that's a good thing. Because if my head gets cut off, we keep going forward. Jesus is the head of Cornerstone. And years ago, long before I even knew Cornerstone existed, a man named John Dickerson, who was the pastor before me, talked about Jesus being the head of the church. And said, I'm going to seek to follow the head, and I'm not the head. And I'd never met John. I'm grateful for all that he did. But not meeting him, I'm continuing to advance the same idea. I'm not the head. And even though my title is lead pastor, it really could be lead follower. That Jesus is the head, and all of us, we follow his leadership. We don't allow selfish agendas to drive or divide our church practicing the discipline of surrender continually. By praying together, we release our wills and we invite God to unite us under his leadership. That's what we mean when we say we surrender to Jesus' agenda. That it's going to take a work of God to disabuse us of our agendas, allow us the grace to submit to his agenda and surrender to his agenda, and then be united under that. But that has been the story of the church from day one. In Acts 4, we read, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. They were unified. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. That was the, the picture of a church united and surrendered to the agenda of Jesus, nobody advancing their own selfish interests or their own selfish agenda. How do we do that? Well, Proverbs 3 tells us, by trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. And that's what we're seeking to do by, by surrendering to his agenda and trusting in him and not ourselves. We're seeking to be led. Now, I wanted to give you a, a real living picture of what this looks like. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Josh out here right now, and we're going to have a quick conversation. So welcome, Josh, to the stage. Thanks for having me. Now, now Josh, I was working on this sermon I've been working on this one for a while. Uh, you've working through these values. I knew this was coming. And I knew that it would be important for people to see this with skin on and not just read words in a page or think theoretically, but actually recognize, like, this has to be embodied at some point. And as I was writing this message, I thought of you. You've been serving as our youth and family pastor for 13 years. You're our longest tenured staff member. Um, and in recent months, you have been walking out the language that I just described here in your own life. And I wanted you to share a little bit of that with the church. Definitely. Not that I do it perfect by any means. Um, but I'm going to give you the ending first and then talk about it leading up to the ending. I am not leaving. Okay. So we got to get that out. Don't bury the lead. <laughs> 
Um, not leaving, but a transition is happening uh, that, that we're really excited about. So, you know, going back almost a year now uh, to November-ish of last year and just going through a season where I, I felt God doing something and possibly shifting something, but I, I didn't know uh, really how to describe it. And honestly, I, I felt like an idiot talking to anybody about it because I'm like, I feel something, but I, I don't know how to describe it. You know, usually if you're mad, you can say, I'm mad, or, you know, sad, you're sad. But this is like, I just don't know, but something deep down in my soul is shifting, and I, I think God's doing something, and, and I, I just want to lean into that and, and try to follow that. So started having a conversation with Pastor Clovis and with Scott and with some other mentors in my life and realizing that, yeah, God was shifting something around. And uh, when I started looking long-term, at my life, realizing that uh, I think God was, was, was starting to transition me from youth ministry to something else. And so, um, again, it was just a season of, of prayer and of talking with people and reading scripture. And that's when I really started relating to Abraham and uh, just his whole story and thinking like, God, um, this is really scary to say, but are you maybe calling me to a new distant land that I don't know about that you're just going to reveal to me at some point? And so over the span of months, just really leaning into scripture and praying and again, talking with mentors, uh, came to the conclusion, I thought that, man, God might be calling us away. And then, um, you know, I had a very difficult conversation in a good way, but with Scott and Clovis, uh, about June, July ish. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a good conversation, but it led to something a lot different than, than we thought. Yeah, so you came to us, and, and we've been walking with you, having coffee and lunches, and just um, being able to have the privilege of kind of discerning with you. It wasn't our decision to make, but we were so grateful that you trusted us. I mean, a lot of times in church world, when you start sensing something like this, you can't talk about it. Because if you do, like, boom, you're out the door within a week. Um, and so we are so grateful that you trusted us to be able to be your brothers and friends and walk with you. And you had no idea that at the same time, you know, you were kind of coming to clarity. Uh, Pastor Paul had come to us, and he was coming to clarity. And we just sensed, man, God is doing something here where some things that are stirring in you, we're going to have a need for because God's leading Pastor Paul into something new, and he's stepping out of his role. Yep. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys know where this is going. But, yeah, so, you know, uh, after hearing that and just talking with them and, you know, realizing that, that one, of, one of my passions is discipleship. I love, like, within, within the youth ministry, my favorite night ever is when we have our, our leaders meeting night and just get to pour into the small group leaders who are investing in the students. And, you know, really just, just coming to the conclusion, like, that, that's the area that I really want to lean into. And so... Um, you know, after talking with you and with Clovis and realizing that Paul was in the midst of this transition, we started talking about what would it look like if uh, I just took on a, a new role within the church. And so that led into, I don't know if you want to set this up or not, or can I keep Go going with it? it? Okay. You're doing a good job. <laughs> and so that, that led into the discussion of, uh, okay, well, well, again, just what would it look like? We're just kind of just dreaming this up. And so uh, Scott came up with a, a job description looked it over, it's like, man, that's, that's something that really excites me. And so uh, we struggled a little bit on the name, but decided to go with the Next Steps Pastor. And so what that kind of means is that all 
starts um, overseeing small group ministry, um, overseeing first impression, a lot of what Paul was doing, but then also (coughs) overseeing family ministry. So still having a hand in youth ministry, still having a hand in children's ministry, but not being directly uh, involved in that on a week-to-week basis. So what that means is that you're entering into a kind of an interesting transition here. So you're going to continue to lead on with our students through fall break, which is about a month from now. At the same time as Paul is stepping out, you're going to begin taking things on in that area. And so there's going to be a season of kind of holding both together. Um, and then fully you'll step into this, uh, this new role in October. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring Josh up was I, the church needed to know about this. But B, just the way you've walked through this has not been with an agenda. You had no idea what God was doing, and you were very open-handed and humble about it. And, and even when we came to you, it, it, we weren't trying to hard sell you. We obviously saw some of the passions you had fitting here. Um, but we said, hey, we could see something here. But Josh, at the end of the day, you're going to have to follow God's calling on your life. And I just appreciate the way that you have modeled what we say we value um, by surrendering to the agenda of Jesus. So, Thanks for not firing me when I went to you. I appreciate it. <laughs> So a couple things. Josh is going to be talking to our students this, this Wednesday about this, um, and we're going to begin a process of uh, putting together a, a transition plan for student ministry. There'll be a search for a new leader of our student ministry. Um, I loved, I had a, a neighbor stop by my house last weekend when I was sick, and our neighbor was just talking about how our student ministry has a great reputation in our community at being a strong student ministry and a, a church that loves students. And I want to see that continue. So we're, we're not going to lessen that in any way, but it's not going to have your face uh, there anymore. So we'll be sharing more about that in the weeks to come as that plan comes together. But we're really excited and we're grateful that you'll be part of the team for hopefully years to come. So, Well, thank you. Okay, thanks, Josh. Give him our applause. You know, before we jump on to the second value, I I also wanted to talk uh, personally. You know, one of the hard things about this season, there's lots of things that have been hard in the last 18 months, is that there are things that have not gone according to plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm not somebody who does a really good job initially when my plans don't match reality. I tend to have a little bit of a response when I make a really good plan and it doesn't work. And one of those areas has been related to our worship ministry. So about a year ago, our worship pastor, Jamie Parker, moved on to a new opportunity and a new ministry in California. And we had a sense of how this process would go. And frankly, it hasn't gone the way that we expected. Uh, And so it's taken longer. The search has included ups and downs. And I'll be honest, there have been moments that I got emotional about it. Not up here, because that isn't the place for this my therapist's office that I pay good money for, you know, uh, to work through those things. But I have some really good news for you. We think we found our worship pastor candidate. And so I want to share with you. I want you to save a date. Two weeks from today, we're going to have a worship pastor candidate in to lead worship. Now, what, what is unique about this process is unlike with me, when I came and I preached a message and then the membership voted on me, you don't vote on the worship pastor. This is not America's Got Talent where y'all get a button, you give a golden ticket, you know, like that's not how this goes. If they play your favorite song, you vote yes. If they don't play your favorite song, they play your least favorite song, you vote no. That's not how this goes. 
this, according to our bylaws, this is a, a hiring decision that is left up to me. Uh, but it's really important to me to see this person doing the role that they do. And so we're going to be uh, having that person out. I will tell you, because a lot of you have this experience, anytime we have somebody new up here, you have not heard them lead worship before. So if you have a favorite over the last year, that's great. We love them. You may see them again, but they're not in this role. Uh, we, this is somebody you've never seen before. I know it's kind of sad. Some of you have some big fans you've, you've attached to people we've had in the lead. But this is somebody new, but we're really excited about this person. Uh, we're not sharing their name yet to respect where they're currently leading and as, and as their leadership processes through that there. But we are really excited about uh, this. So plan to be here or watch online on the 26th. And we'll have more to share about that. So that's, that's one of our values. We have another value we're going to talk about before we go today, and that's submitting to Scripture. So the first value is surrendering to Jesus' agenda. The second value is submitting to Scripture. The very first time we see Jesus go through something difficult, he's in a desert. He's been baptized in the Jordan by his cousin John, the dove has descended on him. If you want to read about this, you can turn to Mark 1. Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. A dove descends. The heavens open. He hears a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everything has been going great. And then it says immediately the spirit led him into the desert. And in the desert, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan comes and tempts him. And in that very first temptation, Satan tempts him to turn the stones to bread because Jesus is human. He's hungry. And Jesus' response reflects that value of submitting to Scripture. Jesus says to Satan, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what we see in even Jesus is, is a submission to Scripture, to the revealed truth of God. And so as the church, we seek to embody that. We don't just preach ourselves. We don't preach good ideas and trips and tips and hacks and ideas to help you have a better life. No, no, we submit to Scripture, and God, through Scripture, exercises authority in our lives. This is how we understand who God is. This is how we understand what God wants. This is how we understand how we're to go forward into the future. And we believe that scripture is God's gift for that. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells his disciple Timothy in his final word to him before he dies, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. And just as we did with the, the, the value of surrendering Jesus' agenda, we've written some language. This is on our website if you want to check it out later too. This is how we've written it. The Bible is the ultimate authority by which we discern and determine everything we do and think. So we're not putting a, a finger to the wind and taking a poll of culture. We're not saying, hey, times have changed, so therefore we need to change. We're not saying, hey, what is everybody else doing and we'll just kind of follow them? No, Scripture is what we use to discern everything we do and determine everything we think. Therefore, we believe all that Scripture teaches. We seek to obey all that Scripture requires 
and we trust all that Scripture promises. This is where I'm going to push you guys a little bit. Some of you guys go, of course, of course, of course I believe everything Scripture teaches. Here's the problem with this value. The, the, stu- the stats I've seen and the studies I've seen show that l- well under half Bible-believing, church-attending Christians today have ever read the Bible cover to cover. And many of us treat the Bible the way we do a software agreement on our phone. Like, I've been getting alerts when you update my software. And if I was to update my software, I would get basically a long software agreement. Well, I can tell you, I have never read a software agreement in my life. I just scroll to the bottom, click yes, and update my phone. That might be okay for a software agreement, but you can't treat the Bible like that. If you say that you believe all that it teaches, and yet you've never read all that it teaches at least once, how can you know? So this is not a place I'm trying to heap guilt or shame on you. I'm just inviting you to say, hey, if you've never read the Bible before, probably be a good idea to do that. If you're going to say you believe all that it teaches. We're going to obey all that it requires. We're not just going to say, hey, I'm going to pick and choose what I like like I'm walking through a buffet or I'm ordering something on the menu, but I'm asking them to hold this off, but add this. No, that's not how scripture works. And I'm going to trust all that scripture promises because I trust the promise keeper behind it. Now, one thing you're going to notice in this series is all of these values end in I-N-G. Surrendering. Submitting. And that's because what you're going to discover, if you haven't already as a follower of Jesus, is surrendering isn't always just a one-time event. If you've been following Jesus for any period of time, you know that, yes, you surrendered your life to him when you began following him, and then you began to reveal, he began to reveal to you more and more of what you needed to surrender. It's one thing to submit to Scripture when you like what you're reading. It's another thing when you go, oh, that's in the Bible? That's what God thinks? Man, that's not how I was raised. That's not what my friends think. That's not what's popular today. Okay, are you going to submit to it again? And each of these words that begin our values are intentionally chosen because they are things we do and then we have to continue to do. In James 1.22, James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is why as a church we we teach through series and we invite people to be a part of groups that are sermon-based so that when you open the Bible on Sunday and you hear a message and you close it up, you don't think you're done because you've heard a message. No, we're done when we've done the thing that we've read. And we deceive ourselves when we think, man, I heard that, I know that, I'm good. No, God does not measure spiritual maturity based upon a knowledge base or a number of Sundays attended. He measures maturity based upon obedience. What are we doing? That's why the test of Sunday is not when you come out and see me in the lobby and go, great message, Pastor. I'm glad that you enjoyed hearing it. But are you prepared to do it? Hearing's easy. Doing's hard. Especially in light of Romans 12, too. He says, so don't be conformed to this age. The age that Paul lived in was difficult. 
incredibly difficult. It was not socially acceptable to be a follower of Jesus for over 300 years. And in the day of of Paul that he writes, this age that they were living in, the, the church was a bunch of weirdos, a bunch of outcasts. They did things the way nobody else did them. The church was a place where people of all nationalities and backgrounds and races came together. It was a place that didn't really care what your social class was. The, the rich would worship next to the poor. It was the place that cared about those who'd been marginalized and left behind. And you're like, Scott, you're talking like a liberal. No, no, that was the early church. That's how they lived out the teachings of Jesus. And in a ridiculously hedonistic and unrestrained culture, they taught that sex was designed by God for the context of marriage between a man and a woman. In a culture that didn't abort babies, but just threw them out into the cold to either die or be picked up by slave traders, they cared about life from conception to the grave. Now you're like, Scott, you're talking like a Republican. No, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said this. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. You've heard that said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? See, this is why we have to submit to Scripture, because if we don't submit to Scripture, we will submit to something. And too many followers of Jesus today are submitting to a party platform or a social media following before they submit to Scripture, and so they're importing that into how they read Scripture. And so you read things, you, oh, that, that, that's liberal politics. No, that's the teaching of Jesus. No, that, that's, that's conservative politics. No, that's the history and the pattern of the church. Nobody teaches love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we kind of have that one all to ourselves. But let's be honest, most of us don't practice it. We just own the people on the other side. And owning is very different than loving. Jesus says, love your enemies, not own them. And so we value surrendering to Jesus' agenda and submitting to Scripture, even and especially when both are difficult. I said we didn't order them, but I wanted to start here because I wanted to say, hey, having these values is hard. Having these values is not easy. But friends, following Jesus from the moment they stood there and watched him crucified to today has never been easy. But it's always worth it. Because he's worth it. I want to give you some next steps as we move forward today. Here's the first one. I want to invite you to name the agendas that are driving you. This week, as you pull out your phone from your pocket... And studies show that most of us touch our phones hundreds or thousands of times a day. A couple of those times, I just want you to pause and say, what's driving me right now? 
what, what, what's really most important to me right now? If I'm honest underneath the surface, what is it that really is pushing me forward? And name those things. Two, ask Jesus, what are you calling me to surrender in this season? What are you calling me to lay down, Jesus? Where have I grasped a hold of something and you're asking me to unclench my fist? And then number three, identify where you're tempted to conform to this age and choose to submit to Scripture instead. The thing is, we're not all equally tempted. We all have different struggles, and certain things we read in Scripture are easy for some and difficult for others. So ask yourself, where is it that you're tempted to conform to this age, to align yourself and submit to that instead of submitting to Jesus, we thank you. I thank you so much for the hard work that our board and our staff have done to try to put language to the question, what do we value most? And I pray that in our own individual lives, in our families, personally, that we would ask the question, what do I value most? Jesus, I pray that it wouldn't take a horrific event or a a loss of a job or a diagnosis to wake us up so that we don't drift through life, but we live it intentionally, being driven by what matters most. We surrender the rest of our time to you today in your name.